0: And, you know, I just want to encourage those today. I, we came off a great service last Sunday. For those that were here or watched online, the, the baptismal service, it was probably one of the best baptismal services I've been a part of. It was sweet, man. The presence of the Lord was here. It was real. People were touched. Lives were changed. And um, I'm just so thankful that we can do that. And uh, it was a great day, wasn't it, last week. Amen? Yeah, for those that were baptized here, I see you nodding your heads. And uh, it was just a great, great day. So we want to continue our study today in Matthew. And uh, you may wonder why I'm going this path on this one after coming off such a great uh, uplift last week. And uh, uh, But I'm going to be talking about another teaching of Jesus. And, you know, Jesus always gives us challenges when he, he speaks. And that's my prayer, is that we can continue to look at the challenges of God's Word. Now, I'll be honest with you here. I was looking for a way to get around this one. Um, because, I mean, because it's hard sometimes to preach uh, messages that are to the point and, uh, you know, needed to hear. But I also understand, though, that as a church, uh, you know, we are a one-room schoolhouse, if you know what I'm talking about. We have grad students and we have kindergartners and we have even preschoolers in churches. And especially when we're going online now, there's so much more out there that that we're impacting that we don't have any influence or knowing influence here. So it's important that we preach the full gospel. We preach what God's word says, and not just try to look for the easy messages, the ones that make us feel good, um, because we want to feel good. And I'll be honest, every message that we speak should be one that make you feel good. It might put a little pressure on, it might step on a couple toes, and it might put the Holy Spirit's conviction, but I pray that it makes you feel good because that's the truth of God's word. And that's what we're preaching here. And I just will never stray from that to the best of my human ability um, as long as I'm here. So, um, so today, um, and another thing to recognize as you are sitting here, that not every sermon directly impacts you. Recognize that it may not. You may be at a different place where, than where the preacher's at that particular day, but you don't know where the person is at sitting next to you or watching online. And so maybe this message that's given may not be the one reading your mail that day, but it may be reading somebody else's mail that day, or it may be answering a, a need that they have. So just when you read, when you hear messages that you're thinking, well, that doesn't really motivate me today, don't worry about it. Um, because it may be motivating or maybe may be hitting the, the buttons of the person sitting next to you, right? And so what I ask for you to do is just pray for me, and pray for every pastor, actually, just to say, give the word. And let it go where it, where, where, it, where it needs to go. And, you know, just don't be overly concerned if it's not all about you all the time. I'm smiling. That's a good thing. Amen. So today we're going to be talking about a wide and narrow gate. Our text is in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 13, and this is in a New King James Version. Jesus is saying, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, there are few who find that. Let's pray. Father, we just are asking you again to just make your word known to us, make it very obvious and very clear as to what you're saying here. Lord, help conviction go where it needs to go help this to be spent, to be spoken in love and in truth knowing that your word is amazing and it always breaks down barriers. And Lord, that's what we're asking it to do again today. Encourage and break down barriers. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. So I know passages like this can be used Uh, to really be abusive at times. (laughs) I mean, we can get some fired up preachers that can go really um, crazy with messages like this and really become really hard and just impactful. And that's okay, because that's probably the way they are meant to be preached in some cases. But we always need to be learning and applying what God says, no matter really... If we seem like it's going to be too hard or too soft, we want to just hit the spot. You know, we want to hit that that sweet spot of God's word so that it, it does what it's supposed to do. It motivates where it's supposed to be motivating, it brings conviction where it's supposed to bring conviction, and at the same time, it brings encouragement where it needs to be an encouragement needs to be given. So I I pray that that's how this message comes across. So I want to make a couple observations. And ask some questions today as we dig into what Jesus is saying. Remember, he's speaking to the Jewish people of his day, right? So we have to always recognize the audience. But what he's saying here is that there are two gates. There's one wide gate, and there's one narrow gate. Of which you and I and everyone else in the world are going to go through one of those two gates. So if there's two gates, what that indicates is that we're going that we have a choice. Which gate am I going to enter? Which one will I walk through? Another important observation here is that there is no option three. And option three would say, "I don't want to choose. I just want to sit this one out." I'm just gonna sit on the sidelines and just let this thing work out and I'm not gonna cho- choose wide or narrow. I'm just gonna choose my own path. And it's neither, through one of, neither one of those gates. And it seems that that's the one, that's the option, even though that doesn't exist, by the way, <laughs> but that's the option that the world is taking for the most part. Most people in the world are just looking at this Christian thing and saying, you know what, it's not for me. I'm not going there. I don't believe it. I don't need it. It's a crutch. I'm a good person. I can ignore church. I can ignore God. And and I can just be a good person. As long as I'm better than Joe down the street, then I'm okay. And probably most of us are better than I don't think there's any Joes in here. <laughs> Better than Joe down the street, okay? So I, if your name's Joe, I'm not trying to offend you. Because most people have been in enough funerals where the person has been preached into, the, in, into, into heaven. They've been in enough of those funerals that most people will say, well, hey, everyone's going to end up in heaven. So what difference does it make how I live? Because by the time I get to the funeral, the preacher is going to say, he's in heaven, he's in a better place. Right? Have we ever been in those funerals where you, you're not sure if you're they're talking about the guy that you knew? <laughs> you know, I, I've seen the t-shirt. I should get it. It says, don't live your life so that the preacher has to lie about you at your funeral. <laughs> so there, there's a lot to this, and I think... That's the world that the world is thinking that they can take that option. But the reality is, a person that thinks that they can be a non-chooser just doesn't exist. By default, if you don't choose one of the gates, you've chosen the wide gate. You don't have to do anything, and you're going to choose the wide gate. That's everyone's default position, by the way. Before any of us came to Jesus as our, made him our savior, that was the gate that we were walking down to. So that's the default gate that every man and woman have because of the curse of sin that Adam and Eve chose 6,000 years ago that has given, that has put us on that default destination. So coming back to today, there are two gates and there are two paths respectively. The respective paths that these gates lead to are indicative of the size of the gates. In other words, one path is broad that came through the wide gate, and that indicates easy. The other gate is, the other path is difficult, which indicates that it came through the narrow gate. And like the narrow gate the path is narrow. So the question comes, where do these paths lead, right? The broad, easy path leads to eternal destruction. The difficult, narrow path leads to eternal life, according to the scripture that we just read. Another question that I would ask, are they equally populated? The broad, easy path Has many on it, according to the scripture. And the difficult narrow path has only a few on it. Again, I'm just reading what the Bible says. I'm not putting the, I I didn't put those quantities there. Jesus did. So now let's look at the bigger picture of all this. Let's try to understand what Jesus is really saying here. Remember, He's talking to a Jewish audience. And they're coming out of an Old Testament theology or Old Testament teaching that is based on God's law. The law is a works-based process of salvation. The law is works-based. It is telling you what to do, how to do it by the law of God. And it's not that those laws are wrong. It's just that there is no grace given in the law. The law just shows you where you're right and where you're wrong. Grace comes through Jesus Christ, which we're going to get to. So for Jesus, by, by his conversation of two gates and two paths, is something totally different than what these people have ever really heard before. Because it's not enough to simply know about God and, and even know all about his laws that give a relationship with the Father. That person that just knows the law and knows all the teachings of the Bible, that just gives him an education of where he's at. But it doesn't give him a relationship. So there, there's, there's more to it. There has to be more to it. To, to the person that's going to choose the narrow gate, that person must do more than simply look good on the outside, as the Pharisees did and the scribes of the day. They must look more than... It's more than just looking good and and being intelligent because many smart people are missing the point of of, of what God is saying. There's a lot of smart people that are very intelligent but they're just missing the simplicity or the complicated nature, whichever way you want to look at it, of God's word. So it's not just an intelligence or a good looking that gives relationship to God. There's something more. That person must actually make a conscious choice to choose righteousness. And that gives entrance to the narrow gate that comes only through a relationship with Jesus and what he accomplished by his purpose for coming to earth. Remember, Jesus is talking to the Jewish people. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, "...don't misunderstand why I have come." I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose, or I came to fulfill the law. So Jesus isn't saying, guys, you're all wrong, and it's, it's bad what God's laws were. No, and he's saying, I have come. I am the gate now. I have come to fulfill the law that you're trying to strive to live by. But then he says, in just a couple of verses later in Matthew chapter five, verse twenty, he says, "But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law or the or the Pharisees and the scribes, he says, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless a person's righteousness surpasses that of their teachers, he says, that person will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is kind of blowing." their hair back a little bit here. This is kind of really disturbing to them. Because Jesus is not saying that the Old Testament law is wrong or bad. It just isn't enough to save anybody. You see, if it was, if 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 Jesus could be if, if the Old Testament law could save people, then Jesus didn't have to come to earth and give up everything he had in heaven. He wouldn't have had to do that because the law would have been sufficient. You know, we're getting close to Christmas now. We're December 5th. Christmas is just 20 days away, by the way. You got your you got your wrapping done? You got everything ready? And we love to celebrate that day because it's a great day of celebration for us. It's a great day of fun and family and, and giving gifts, and it's a, just a great holiday. So to us, it's a great celebration, but to Jesus, it's the beginning of a great sacrifice. In fact, the greatest sacrifice of all time. Because Jesus' sacrifice doesn't end well for Him. (laughs) He doesn't leave this earth with a bang of glory. He left this earth on an old rugged cross. Beat up. Beyond our recognition. And that becomes, for us, the narrow gate. That becomes the gate that we have to walk through if we're going to have relationship with God as Father. And so the the reason I say this is the Old Testament law, or any other way, if that any other way would lead a person to salvation and a right standing with God, then Jesus just wasted everything he died for. Does that make sense? So let's go back to our text. With this understanding... We can begin to see that the narrow road leads to eternal life. But what makes the gate narrow? The reason it's narrow is not because God is wanting to limit the number of people. This isn't a predestination teaching where God has not predestined you and predestined you, but not you. (laughs) I'm going to allow, God's not saying I'm going to limit who gets in because I'm choosing who gets in. That's not what he's saying at all. The reason it's narrow is because Jesus is the only way. See, we just taught this a couple of weeks ago, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. That Jesus is saying, all can come to me. Because he, he says in this passage, keep on asking and you, and you will receive what you ask. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and a door will be opened. For, here's the key words. For everyone, listen, for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Not just the selected chosen ones. He also says, Matthew chapter 18, verse 14, he says, In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any, hear me, any of these little ones should perish. So the path isn't narrow because God is narrowing it, because he's keeping it limited to just a certain few. No, the opportunity is given to all men and all women, and Jesus would have everyone receive that eternal life. So now let's go to the wide gate for a minute. The wide gate, on the other hand, is non inclusive. And what that means is that anyone can get on it with little to no effort. It doesn't take work to get on the wide to get to walk through the wide gate and to get on the broad road. It's easily and it's widely accepted. It it allows for all human effort. It doesn't make any difference what I do, the human effort says you can get in. And and it also allows for all other worldly religions. Thus it can get, it's easy to get through with little waiting. In other words, there's no toll gate I have to get through. (laughs) I can just go by the toll gate and I can just go through because I can go it on my own, my own way. And like I said earlier, the wide gate is the default gate for any of those non-choosers. Thus it's very easy and requires no effort. And you know, for those that are working and striving to stay in a narrow gate, the wide gate people can be very distracting. It can be confusing. And you can easily get sucked into that wide gate mentality if you're not careful. So it's important that we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. That we don't take the approach that I'm just going to be a good person. I'm just going to read my Bible. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to do it the, the way that I think it's right. I know I, we have to go all in. And, and that's kind of what we talked about last week with water baptism. That's why I like water baptism, because people that are being water baptized realize that I'm getting all wet. I'm totally submersing myself. I'm, not, I'm no longer one foot in the world and one foot out. No, now that I've committed my life to Christ and I've made it a public declaration, now I'm all in to this and I'm not turning back. That's what it means to be in the narrow road. You see, and if the wide road and the wide gate, it has to lead to destruction. There's no other place it can go. It can, because if it did, I, go, I want to go back one more time. If it did, then Jesus wasted his time on earth. We like to think that God is a loving God and a compassionate God, don't we? I mean, that's what we like to think. In fact, that's true. Uh, it's not what we like. It's, it's the truth. God is a loving and compassionate God. So if God said, I'm going to require you, Jesus, to leave earth and go and be that perfect life and sacrifice so that you can be the way to come to me. And then if he said partway through that, or at some point in time later, he says, well, you know, God, Jesus, I think I'm going to open it up. There's not enough people coming through you, so I think I'm going to open it up now so that you can just be an option. You can just be one of many options, Jesus. Would that have made God a kind and compassionate father? Not at all. The only way that God can be kind and compassionate is if he holds to the rules that he's put in place, and that is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Otherwise, he would make God a cruel and hard taskmaster, and he wouldn't be a good father. So... Let's not get confused here why the road is, why that gate is narrow. It's narrow because that shows God's love and it shows His compassion. He loved you so much and He loved me so much that He sent Jesus to be our, our gate. And as we walk to that gate, that's the way we get into it. And it's, and, and, and we cannot get to it on our own. I cannot get, I cannot be good enough. I cannot have enough grace on my own to get in. I only get it in through Jesus Christ and that is why. The gate is narrow. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, um, Paul says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you, take, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. None of us can boast about it because it's God's grace. But then he goes on in Matthew chapter 528, but now he says something that's kind of difficult maybe for us. He says, but you are to be perfect even as your heaven, your father in heaven is perfect. Now what does that mean? How can we be perfect? How can I be perfect as God is perfect? I know I'm not. I've already admitted the fact that I have lots of, lots of issues. So really, this passage is impossible by human standards. There's no way that I can be perfect as God is perfect on my own. It's only through the amazing grace that I receive as I walk through the gate of Jesus Christ. And then he gives me his grace. He gives me his mercy. The Holy Spirit then lives within me, lives within you. And through the amazing presence of the Holy Spirit that we've sang about today and that we were in the presence of today, it's then through him that I can become perfect in my desires. Not perfect in my actions, Not perfect in my lifestyles, even as I strive to be. I am perfect in my desires. And that's that keeps me on the narrow road. That keeps me on that straight, difficult, narrow road. So I want to go back and talk about the narrow gate for a minute. Just how narrow is the gate that Jesus is describing? How narrow is it really? How many people will enter through it and then remain on the difficult and narrow road? Dr. Luke gives us an interesting perspective on this. Luke chapter 13, verses 23 and 24. Luke says, Then a question was asked, Then one said to Jesus, Lord, are there few who are saved? And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Wow. I find this really interesting here. That Luke uses the word strive when it comes to entering through the narrow gate. Strive. The easy gate is the as a wide gate, the wide gate. But Jesus says, or Luke says, or Jesus says, you have to strive, you have to work hard to get through the narrow gate. You know, going through that wide gate takes no conscious effort whatever at all. You just do nothing and you fall through it. <laughs> it's an easy thing. But to go through the narrow gate, it requires a conscious choice and an effort and a determination to accept Christ as your Savior and then to live for Him thereafter. Then to walk down that difficult and narrow road takes an effort. And I'm not trying to make this hard. Understand, I'm not trying to make this hard. I'm just trying to teach the Word, okay, what, what God's Word says. So think of it this way. It wasn't easy for Jesus to be the narrow gate, right? There was nothing easy about Jesus' life. It required some very difficult and some very self-sacrificing choices on Jesus' behalf to create the narrow gate and to lay out the narrow path. It took a lot of work on his part and a lot of sacrifice. So doesn't it also make sense that it requires us to work a little bit too? Now I'm not subscribing to a um, works-based salvation here. Don't 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 misread what I'm saying. But the connotation here is that we have to work to get through it. The Greek word for strive is this big word. Agon is omei oh and from which we get the word, English word, agonize. That's the Greek word for strive. So now a word to agonize. and The connotation here is that those who seek to enter through the narrow gate must do so by struggle and strain like an athlete to win the race. We have to work our way. We have to put our bodies and we have to self-sacrifice to get through that narrow gate that Jesus is giving us as a free gift. I know this sounds confusing to say it's free, but yet at the end of the day, it's going to cost you everything you have to get it. I can't say it any, I mean, it cost Jesus everything he had to be it. So it's going to cost me everything I have to receive it. And don't let the devil tell you anything different. Because if you if you start believing the fact that I can live a Christian life, I can live a sold-out Christian life halfway, you're walking down that broad, easy road that many are on because that's the worldly way of Christianity. I'm just saying that what costs Jesus everything is going to cost me everything. And that's not works-based salvation. That is the grace of God. And I have joy in giving God everything that I have. There is not there's not work really when I really look at it that way, when I'm full into this thing, it is a work of joy and it's a work of peace because I know that what I'm doing is I'm just being obedient to the Father. And I'm just being like Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I'm I'm trying to act like him, I'm trying to emulate my big brother. Because that's who he is now. He's my big brother. And I want to be Jesus' little brother. And I want to do the things my big brother does. I want to throw the football like Jesus threw the football. I want to hit the golf ball the way Jesus hit the golf ball. I want to live my life the way Jesus lived his life. That's entering through the narrow road. And that's not... A punishment, by the way. Don't think it is. Don't let this passage seem like it's a hard passage to you, when really what it is, it's just sharing us life. Life abundantly. So I'm not saying it's hard to be a Christian, but I'm not saying it's easy either. I'm saying it's gonna cost everything you have. And when you, when you give it up, you get life in return. It's a good trade. It's a good trade. What Jesus is focusing in on here because this person that asked the question to Jesus in Luke was, was how many, Jesus, how, how, how many are going to be on that narrow road? And, and Jesus didn't even answer the question because he's not worried about that. What he's worried about, what he's trying to get us to understand is he doesn't want us to get caught up in the details of many or few. I mean, yeah, we want many to be on the narrow road. We want as many as we know to be on the narrow road, and there's no question about that. But what Jesus is focusing on here is on the process of how to get on the narrow road and how to stay on it. So what he's really teaching here is how do we live a life that gets through the narrow road that gets through the narrow gate and stays on a narrow road. That's that's really what this teaching's about. So we should be focused on that, not focused on the numbers. Because the numbers are The way we judge things. The numbers are the way that we analyze things. But God sees things in a different way. So we need to focus on all of the things that would allow us to be that runner of the race. That we are in here now, we are all in Jesus. Now, how do we walk that narrow road? How do we be that successful Christian? Well, I want to read a number of passages here that are going to describe for us how we do this. Paul says in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, and this is very important, listen to what he says. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What this means for us, guys, is your past is your past, and let it stay there. Don't go back to your sinful ways and agonize over that. Rather, agonize over your future. <laughs> Strive for your future. Press on with everything that you have for what God has in store for you. That's what Paul's saying here, that I press on toward the goal to be heaven-bound, to be, win the prize for which God has called me forward to. And then the writer of Hebrews, I love this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. The writer of Hebrews verse 12, the first four verses. He says, "Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses." I love that. You know what those people are? They're think about the great cloud of witnesses. Those are the saints that have gone on before us. Those are those that have already fought the battle, already won the race. And they're in heaven now, and God opens the, heaven's gate just a little bit. He opens the portals of heaven to allow, to allow them to watch our race, to cheer us on, to say, come on, guys, you can do it. You can make it. I know you can make it because I made it. I love that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Every good runner knows that his eyes have to be focused forward. And you're, if you're running a sprinter's race, it's a kiss of death to look back. Because as soon as you look back, you lose your momentum. You lose your speed because now all of a sudden you've lost your thrust. The, the, our eyes are to be focused on the prize. Our eyes are to be focused on the finish line. What's the finish line? Here's the answer. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Not the world. Not those on the wide path. Not those that are having fun here thinking, oh, look how much fun they're having in the world. That's not where we focus our eyes. Because you'll lose, you'll lose the race. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now here's some encouragement. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In other words, don't give up in the race, guys. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, as Jesus did. So the encouragement is, keep our eyes focused on the goal. Press on. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that we win the prize. And then Paul says again in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, he says, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. That's not selfish, by the way. It's not selfish. You're not elbowing the guy next to you to get him back. No, you're just running your race. Because here's the deal. In God's world, even though it says that only one wins, God's so concerned about you that if you will run the race, you will win. And I will win. And Pastor Rip will win. And everyone in this room will win. If you run your race to win, you'll win it. So run to win. Verse 25, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose. Here's Paul's thing. I love this. I run with purpose in every step. I'm just not shadow boxing. (laughs) No, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So entering through the narrow gate requires effort. I strive. I do everything I can. You know, I went to the gym this week, and I'm striving to go to the gym more often, by the way. But I was in the gym and uh, I had just gotten off my elliptical machine, which I tried to do at least thirty minutes to get my heart rate up and then I'm sitting on the weight bench and, and and Dr. Gill knows that I got a bad shoulder, so that's kind of a challenge for me right now. And by the way, I need to get another shot, Doc. It's getting sore again. So <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so I'm sitting on the weight bench and this thought came to me. I can sit here a long time. And those weights do me no good. <laughs> I, I mean, I can sit there for a long time and I can even hold them. But unless I start to move them, there's not a lot going on here good for me, right? And so I need to do something with those weights. I, I need to push them. I need to strain my muscles with those weights if they're going to have any value to me. And you know, isn't that same thing with my spiritual life? I can sit with a Bible sitting on my nightstand or on my co- coffee table. And they can sit there and look really good. And when people walk into my house, they say, oh, look, he's got a Bible out. Isn't that nice? But the Bible does nothing for me unless I read it, unless I study it, unless I apply it. Because even knowledge will not be the thing that gives you relationship. So knowing about it, but not putting it into action, is the wide gate. That's why we have to strive to get through the narrow gate, because I have to work, I have to read, I have to study, I have to apply. I have to train my life to live according to what the Bible is saying, not just know what it's saying. Amen? So as I get ready to conclude today, this is what I, re- I want to read to you. This is a commentary. And the exhortation to strive to enter is a command to repent and enter the gate and not to just stand and look at it, think about it, complain about it, that it's too small or too difficult or unjustly narrow. We are not to ask why others are not entering. We are not to make excuses or delay. We are not to be concerned with the number who will or will not enter. Other, whereas we are to strive forward and go through it, and enter it. Then we are to exhort others to strive to enter along with us before it's too late. The day's coming when that gate will be shut. The day's coming. And it's either coming with the corporate rapture of the church, which I believe is very soon, very soon. I believe that we are in the end of the days. Or if a person dies natural death, if they haven't gone through the narrow gate before they get to their death, that gate will slam shut on them. So our goal, our job, folks, this is what we do. We strive not just to enter through that narrow gate ourselves, but we strive to get, to get as many others with us to come through that gate. You have a responsibility, I have a responsibility to live my life before the world so that they know what road I'm on. They live, they need to know who I stand for, what I stand for, who I live for. And when you live that way, some people you're going to shut off and you're going to, uh, they're going to leave you. But I will think most others are going to think about you and they're going to see what you are, who you are, and they're going to wonder what it is that you have and i will just give you the encouragement that if you hang on they're going to ask you the question they're going to give you an opportunity to share your faith share your testimony share with them how you got through that narrow gate they even know they don't even know what a narrow gate is they just see joy they see peace they see purpose Every step of the way they see a, a, a sense of difference in your life versus theirs. They're gonna want it. Because that's really what we all want inside. We just don't know where to get it. The world doesn't know where to get it. So I pray that a message like today doesn't unmotivate you, but rather I pray that it motivates you to continue to stand that narrow path because I think probably most of us in this room have already gone through that narrow gate. I have no idea who's listening online. But if you haven't gone through that narrow gate yet, you have to take the exercise. You have to take the approach. You have to take the steps to get through that narrow gate, and that's only through Jesus Christ. And then once you have him and the Holy Spirit's living in you, now you're on the right road, and now you live it out. You're still going to have difficult days. You're still going to have things that are going to challenge you. But don't lose heart. That's exactly what Jesus was trying to say here when he said, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart on your race. Jesus had lots of opposition, but he finished the race. Paul had lots of opposition, but he finished the race. You're going to have lots of opposition, but you can finish the race. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we are so thankful and so grateful of your word today. We are so grateful that we have the opportunity that you've given us to walk, strive, enter, work through the narrow gate so that we can walk, strive, and work through our spiritual life. God, Annette is not in any way saying that we're working for our salvation, but we're working really hard because we have salvation. We are striving to keep our eyes focused on you, Jesus, to keep our eyes focused on the end goal. We want to win that race like many others have before us. And so as that great cloud of witnesses surrounds us and cheers us on, I do the same thing right now to those that are listening here, that I would just cheer them on, cheer us on, cheer myself on to fight the fight. Know that we're going to win the race as we enter through the narrow gate and walk down that narrow road that leads to eternal life. I thank you, and I give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, of course, if anyone here has questions, you want to pray? We're here to pray with you at any time. Call me, pray with me now, whatever. Or Pastor Rip, or anyone else. Just don't be ashamed to say I got a question. Don't be ashamed to have a, to, to need some help, because there's lots of people that'll help you. So be blessed today. Have a great day. Be blessed.